so I know that I'm not um, essentially lying and I have a sense of integrity in that conversation and I hope that gives everybody a sense of integrity what that does is it sets us all in a really even keel we've been honest we've been transparent and we've been upfront that's a great working relationship honest transparent and upfront because yeah. you get to the answer quicker because you're not scared of saying mm, I kind of like it I kind of don't no oh, it's not really inspiring me why oh because x x and x great we can solve that Great. And then it will inspire you. Yeah, great. Right. Great. So then we can move on quickly. And there's nothing worse than trying to second guess or trying to guess what's in someone's brain. The Creative Jungle podcast is all about speaking to and learning from inspiring entrepreneurs, creatives and well-being experts. You'll hear about their non-conventional lives and journeys, what they have learned and what tips and recommendations they have so that you too may be able to live a more creative and happier life. We hope that if you take just one thing from this podcast, it is a practical tip that you can implement into your daily life to make things a bit happier, more creative or even just a little more inspired. The podcast is brought to you by us, Diana and Sam, a couple who co-founded MYO and Creative Jungle Company, which are all about bringing creativity to life and business. That's at MYO London and at Creative Jungle Co on Instagram. We've helped tens of thousands of adults get creative in our arts and crafts classes with a range of creative kits or during our creative thinking workshops. Could, Could you, you be, be next? next? Be sure to click that subscribe button so that you can listen to future episodes and check out the previous episodes too. Okay, now to saddle up, let's, let's go. go. Hello. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Scott Leonard, who is a master in branding, storytelling, creative things, and everything you can imagine. Um, he's had jobs in Zipcar um, as a creative director and working on their brand, has worked for Ogilvy, has supported startups with Virgin Startup on uh, branding. And he's also ran his own agency called The Champion Agency for the last nine years, which is a social enterprise that's all about championing change makers. And I've definitely fluffed that and we'll be sure to ask Scott to <laughs> talk a bit more about his journey. Um, you can find out about The Champion Agency at The Champion Agency on Instagram and also thechampionagency.com. So welcome, Scott. Great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> pleasure. pleasure. We've had a really nice conversation just before we, we started to click record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess what we'd really like to start off with is for you to tell us a bit about your journey and all the bits that I missed. Um, I guess a little bit from what you studied to what you're doing now, just to give a bit of context to everybody listening. Cool. So uh, I, my creative journey started out when I was young. Um, I think I was, I was really into the visuals and aesthetics. Um, I guess I was brought up in the 80s, which was when sort of neon and day glows and pop culture became kind of cool culture. And it, and it really inspired me to, to start looking at the aesthetics of, of life and how we lead our lives. Um, I was also lucky enough to be brought up in the north of England. So when I was um, growing up and, and realizing creativity and what creativity was around me. I was, we had Manchester, we had Hacienda, we had the boom of music. Nice. 
we had club culture that was taking off. Um, we had a rave scene. You can see some some books behind me. Sort of yeah, okay. scenes. Um, so this this whole world was kind of exploding. We've gone from new romantics through to to rave, and then we're moving on to you know the Hacienda the and Ben Kelly design and um, kind of the whole Manchester scene. So I was inspired by that. Um, of my family, I'm the first uh, to even consider higher education and I was the first to, to gain a degree and what was great about that I guess entire process was it was kind of pioneering new routes and although I didn't have much to look um, toward within certainly the context of family it kind of allowed me to pave my own way and it, it, I wasn't following anybody else's footsteps so it's kind of free in that sense. Um, I remember at 17 the big clincher for me was I entered ID Magazine, which was this new, hot, trendy, cool magazine, had a competition to design a poster. And I think, uh. I think I've got runner-up or third place. But it was this little lad from Bradford had a position in the world and ID had recognised it and recognised my creativity. So I guess that was probably the most important creative award I ever received because suddenly ID Magazine had put my little name in their little column in this poster competition. Wow. So that, I thought maybe there's a career in this. Maybe I could do something with this. And I quickly um, started thinking about life after um, A-levels, which were the sort of hot thing at the time. And I went on to do a foundation course. And on the back of the foundation course, then went on to study uh, graphic design and communication at Bath College of Art. So I'd left... Bradford, I went to Bath, it was completely in a, a strange new world, um, studying graphic design and communication, and it opened up my world. So first design commission was at 16, and then on the back of that, the 17, it was the ID Post Awards. Yeah. And then go to study graphic design, and then I guess that's kind of where we were. Um, so you I, knew, it sounds like you almost knew from very early on that design and graphic design is, is in your blood, that's what you were going to do. I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I want. Yeah, I wonder where it all comes from, but I, I, we don't know. I guess let's just blame it on the eighties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I I've recently listened to the podcast of a Joy Division called Transmissions, which charts that whole journey. It's yeah, so it's like such an amazing time to be alive time, and yeah. in your adult or late teens. Yeah, and and um, your graphic design and communication. I actually, saw it called. Design, communications, and creativity. Is that what the... Yeah. It's so... Yeah. What an ominous title. <laughs> it's so broad. I mean, it could, it, could, it could almost be anything. And, and really what it meant was, it was kind of like, it talked a lot about semiotics. It talked a lot about visualisation and how we, how we look at things and how we make decisions. Um, it's very closely associated with art, which is kind of doing somewhat similar things. Yeah. And I think the one thing I really got or didn't get from the course, and I think this was kind of part of, the reason for my journey and the way it's taken the sort of systematic um, uh, scenarios that it did, it did was I, to, to make something look good is kind of easy. To, to make something um, impressive is kind of easy, but to give it purpose and to give it mm. context and emotion, and to make it creatively whole, I think is what I've been fascinated through sort of my entire career. And even doing the degree, I realized I was just learning how to make bad ideas look good or not really questioning the integrity of the idea, the actual creativity that went into the actual, the process and the making of that, that idea and that, that context. So I, I embarked on um, a DNAD course, a Designers and Art Directors course, and it was in London whilst I was doing my 
degree course because I wasn't really getting enough from the degree course. So each week it was um, it started out as a competitive brief. You had to submit uh, a, a, an answer to a competitive brief, and each term they took on. I'm pretty sure it was like 30 students. I remember one year there was 300 and something applied uh, one of the terms, and I was lucky enough to make it in the 30 that got through into the competitive brief. Wow. And so what it did is it each week you came to another advertising agency, you put your work on a wall and it would get torn to shreds and then you would then go back and come back the next week and come back the next week answering different briefs. And I think to your point about creativity, it forced you to be creative and to be resilient and to think about what am I doing next and more and more and more ideas needed. And so you never landed on one idea and you never got comfortable with one idea because you realised there was so many more needed in order to creatively overcome whatever the challenge was. So were you, were you, it was put up and you were given feedback, critical feedback, it sounds like. Yeah, hopefully positive, yeah. Did you have to rework it or or that was that and then you had to come back with a new brief, a Correct. new submission? Yeah, so each week you'd come back with a new, so the agency would then set a brief and you'd have to answer that and the next agency would then critique basically what you'd produce. But putting the work on the wall was a really rigorous process especially in a big agency so suddenly again you've got this kind of small this little kid from Bath College who's traveling to London on a Tuesday night to put some work on a wall to get it torn apart to then get back on a train and get back at after midnight but with the knowledge that we got a little bit better that week or a little bit better that week or we've grown a little bit in stature that week. Gosh that resilience. (laughs) I I think creativity is, is so much about resilience and having the ability of, and, and I guess to some degree self-belief that you can walk through this creative wilderness and you will find water, you will find an outcome, you will find you know salvation and kind of whatever you need at the at the end and you will make it through that that wilderness and yeah, knowing yeah. that you'll do that day in day out is I guess why we do what we do because yeah. love it. Absolutely. And I guess the pressure helped a lot because it was like a weekly if imagine you're given six months for a brief versus a week, like you really get your brain going and you kind of, the pressure can be good, I guess, and the constraints of the brief. Did, did you find that? And it kind of gave you confidence over time? Most definitely. And, and th- yeah, you, it's a tight framework. Um, the other thing I did when I was at, at college, which I, I guess, again, built on that notion of deadline was, the big issue um, was doing really well. And, and whenever I came to London, I always bought a copy of The Big Issue. But the problem was when The Big Issue was sold, let's say in Bath, where I was at, um, it had no relevance because the stories were London-centric. So what was needed was a conversation that was more specific or local to Avon and Somerset or, or Bath in this context. Yeah. So I, I have volunteered to be the art editor on The Big Issue, taking it outside of London. Um, and that was even tighter a time frame because we'd start on Friday night we would basically put a magazine together and we'd go to print on Sunday night and that was super intense because you had to put it was only 36 pages or 42 or it was it was kind of like a supplement that went that covered the the big issue itself but to start on Friday night knowing Sunday was your deadline and knowing you had to live life in between all that and probably go out I don't know, have some fun amongst all that, meant that the deadline was really tight and it was a really smart and refreshing way of kind of focusing in on what you had to do and making sure you delivered every single time. 
and you did your best, but also you weren't too precious because you knew that next time you could do it slightly differently or you could better or improve a situation or assistance. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it sounds like just in your youth, you just brought the pressure on yeah. to really test yourself. And push yourself. Um, yeah, because I can imagine it's not like now where you could whip something up a bit quicker with some savvy software, like back mm. in the 80s and 90s, it was a lot was more, it more difficult. Manual? Like, yeah. I don't like. Did you even use Adobe Illustrator? How do you actually pull stuff together back then? So um, I'm not that old that we were relying on paste up. It was called paste up. But I, I did learn as a kid. Um, I remember going to work experience where you physically took pieces and stuck them onto acetate, mm. and the acetates what what would have made a plate up, and the plate is what would have gone to print. Wow! So we, we moved away slightly from that, and we got onto computers. But the computer at the time was, I think it was a Mac LC, it was LC two. So the screen would have been, uh, I, I guess, would have been the sort of like eleven inch. Um, it's a very small system. It's a very small machine. And Photoshop didn't exist. It was freehand and quark. Uh, and wow. th- they were kind of like revolutionary new tools to, to get your head around. Adobe had not really come into the frame, I think, at this point. I don't even know if Adobe existed. So it, it was kind of very basic, but also kind of refreshing that you could do these things on computers so you could edit and move things around. But also that meant that you had to scan things and you had to take the time to, to organize and work out what a process would have been. So you could create a piece of artwork, but it needed scanning in. Where was the scanner? Did you have access to a scanner? Did you need to go to a specialist scanning place, for example? Yeah. So the process it had to be much more um, chronological. It's not, and, and mobile phones didn't exist in those days either. So we have to bear that in mind that you have to make phone calls by landlines. Landlines relied on people being in. If you work in Saturdays and Sundays, was the office yeah. open? Could you get in touch with people? So I guess it was all good learning at the time and kind of, it was all good training for a creative, I guess, journey that's not prescribed. It's not fixed and it's not known. And I think that's essentially the beauty of creativity that it was preparing me for this unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think the things that, um, have really stuck out to me in your creative journey and how you define being creative is and um, oh how you define creativity is not only does it look good but it says something has a has a core meaning a message in in what it is that you're presenting so that kind of wholeness of of it um the aspect about resilience um and just kind of being able to yeah put a actually bravery to put it up on a wall and have everybody look at it and read it and absorb it and pull it apart if they want to and then the resilience to to bear that and move on and keep creating and I think um the last thing um that really stood out is that kind of detachment maybe not being so attached to it. And you're like, this is my one baby and I'm so precious about it. Sounds like actually you have to be able to put that aside or let that go and again, move on, which I I don't think I've ever quite heard, but yeah, I'll definitely take that on board myself because it's so easy to think, oh, I've come up with this idea of put so much heart and sweat and blood into it and it's my one. And then actually then it doesn't land and then you feel maybe you almost, get yourself stuck in that one way of thinking <laughs> totally and, and i think if, if you do believe that's it and that's the best then you should stop yeah because yeah, if you did, if you think that was it then we just go home that's it yeah. we're done Let's we're do done it. yeah 
There's no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're done. And I think it. I guess that's what keeps us all creative is the yeah. notion that there's a better something out there because everything's changing in constant flux around us. That today is different to yesterday. Naturally, the the conditions that we make what we make is different to what we've done before because we've got more experience, we've got more understanding, we've got more inspiration, we've got you know we might have more sunshine. You know, it, it, the way we feel is is completely different. And then finally, we, the one thing that has changed and will always change, and I think I referenced it a little bit with with the computers and mobile phones, is technology. Mm. So I remember working at an agency in the Netherlands, and it's really hot. They're a very hot tech company. So we are going to do meetings where we can see each other in real time. And you can touch something, and I can see what you're touching on your screen. Now, we're doing this over Zoom, and we take it for granted. And we even it's not even so much as even taking it for granted, but we expect our grandparents to be able to do this too. Right? So <laughs> if you think about this hot tech company kind of go, wow, we've got this thing where you can edit in real time. We can do this and our grandparents can do this. So it's not even a unique piece of technology today. It's a given. And I yeah. think that's the one thing that, that changes with our lives is, is technology. Yeah. Um, and the ability and freedom that that brings you is something that, as a creative, we have to embrace because it, it gives us possibilities that we could never have. And those uh, that came before us would have never even dreamed of. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Oh, that, that makes sense. Mm. And just going back to the original question mm. as well, just in terms of the journey. So I kind of finished, studied it, really put push, put yourself out there, sorry, started doing the big issue outside London. What's been, I guess, a couple of the things since then kind of leading up to the champion agency? Yeah. And maybe speak a little bit about the champion agency also and the, the purpose behind it. So on the back of that, I came to London. Um unemployed and you come to London and there's a horrible scenario um, and this bottleneck is still being talked about. It was referred to only yesterday in campaign, which is the advertising industries. So a newspaper, the bottleneck is trying to get into a business without any formal training. And you're trying to impress people who are desperately trying to cling on to their jobs and, and yeah. trying to keep young people and, and, and essentially hungry, passionate young people out. Um, and you've got to produce a book, a portfolio that's relevant and fits contemporary models of thinking, but also contemporary um, technology. So it's, it could, it needs to be, for example, in, in modern times, young people's books have got to take on board technology, the possibility of an integrated campaign, et cetera. Whereas when I was starting out, it was more traditional media. So posters, billboards, radio, TV ads, et cetera. So I spent six months putting a portfolio together and I remember having to go to the job centre each week to, to basically show them what I'd been doing. And I remember going there and there was one scenario where the person sat opposite said, so you're telling me you've taken your portfolio to 32 agencies this week and none of them gave you a job. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did that, yeah. And so you, you make four books, you draw them because uh, photocopying was 10p a copy. It was quite expensive for those days. So you, you make four portfolios, you give out four portfolios, and you'd pick them up at lunchtime, take them to the next agency, then look at it, pick it up, take it to the next agency. Wow. So you had kind of 32 agencies looking at your portfolio. You, you, I found a partner at the time, so he did the words, I did the pictures, or I think I did the pictures, he did the words, or something like that. Um, and anyway, so they can't believe you've had 32 punts at a job and not got a job. And again, this resiliency comes into play. 
Six months down the line, we're then offered two places out of the blue. Um, we'd made a big play for both of them. And one was called Mother and the other was called St. Luke's. And both were in the infancy. Both were sort of like six months going startups. And I remember Mother saying, like, if you come with us, we can't guarantee you'll have a job in six months, but it'll be fun. Yeah. And then St. Luke's had been going about a year and St. Luke's were a registered social enterprise. So they had purpose and I could see sort of great value in, in that relationship too. But we chose Mother. And we were the first creative hirings at Mother, other than the partners. So wow. that direction. There were seven of us, including the cleaner. And I remember it was five pitches in five weeks with five wins. And then wow. you got an agency. Suddenly you're looking at this like amazing scenario where you've got five great clients who really kind of want to work together. But what I saw for the first time was the beginning of an agency. And I saw yeah. how teamwork, purpose, the purpose was to be modern popularist. We didn't want to be clever. We didn't want to be too, too smart. To be modern popularist is to be Coronation Street. It's to be Peter Kay. It's to do something that, that we can all share. It's sort of inclusive and accessible. In those days, and I'm, I'm applying today's words to, to what we were trying to do in those days. And it kind of opened up this, this amazing narrative between um, an audience, which was essentially a customer and a brand. And you could do things that were a bit silly, that were a bit wacky and a bit, um, I, I keep, I'm going to say it again, Coronation Street, because <laughs> we like, we like yeah. people, they, we like Coronation Street. Yeah. And, and it had some kind of value. And so that began this journey. And after a couple of years of that, what to, I was left to go to work at another agency and then got head onto out to the Netherlands, uh, did three years in the Netherlands, working for Wine and Kennedy, Schaefer Bunch Hass, and then came back to St. Luke's, which picked up that conversation, which had started four or five years ago. Wow. On the back of that, more agencies, um, Kamarama was one um, that, that sort of, that in its infancy, helped, again, sort of worked with a team there. We did this thing called Make Teen at War. Um, and it was a really sort of, it sounds like a really basic thing, but we put this idea together. It was the anti-war coalition. And I kind of got involved in this and saw that if I made a poster, I wrote the line that said Make Teen at War, and it was art directed by the creative director of Kamarama called Dave Bonaguidi. So he did the pictures, I did the words, and then I took it to the march. And I remember putting this poster and giving it out to, to people and giving the placards out to people. And we were walking down Whitehall and everybody started shouting, Make Teen at War, Make Teen at wow. War. And they're saying, uh, you know, singing this line that you'd written in your bedroom, in, in, my, in that case, my bedroom. And suddenly, that it, you hear what you'd written and it takes on this new sort of mantle of importance. And it was really kind of clear for me at this point where it was like, hang on a second, this this has got power. This is capturing the people's voices and they are shouting it to, to our leaders. In this yeah. case, it's Tony Blair at the time. So you've got the whole of Whitehall shouting, make tea, not war, make tea, not war. And then the next day, I remember going to news agents and I, I'm pretty sure it was featured in 23 nationals and it, it got seven front covers. Wow. And this is like this is like another level of communication. This is not I'm not flogging noodles or some kind of fizzy pop or yogurt <laughs> bars or kind of TV, you know, shows. Yeah. I was actually flogging essentially what I believed, but also what everybody else believed because they could see value in this. And this kind of opened up this thinking process that of 
using our creative skill for good. And that, that's not the first time anyone's ever done that. And hopefully it will continue. You can see all the books behind me. There's so much reference of people using creativity for good. And, and I think that was kind of where the seeding of this idea, this agency that actually existed to do more good in the world and to help elevate people who are trying to create change, to give them the creative tools and the creative foundations that they could build from to do great things and to achieve more change in the world. So that was kind of the beginnings of that. On the back of that, I um, ended up working at Ogilvy Mather. And after about two and a half years, I realized I'd reached the ceiling. And wow. it was kind of, it was a really awkward scenario because I was young. I was 30, uh, I think I was 35. But I had to tell everybody I was nearly 40 because the people I was responsible for managing were in their 50s. and. They didn't like this cocky, jumped-up kid telling me what to do. <laughs> and it, it became, a, it was like I was kind of not being myself. I was operating in a world that wasn't um, healthy. And I, I'd seen so many shady things take place. I, I remember working on a pitch for six months, um, huge pitch. I was responsible for five offices across Europe. Um, so I was going to Europe pretty much on the road most of the week. Wow. Uh, and then you come in and then you'd, we were pitched. It was a very large bank. Um, I'm not going to say which bank it was, but it's a super large European bank. We won the pitch. And then what happened was the CEO of the parent company of all of the agencies that worked on the pitch said to the CEO of the bank, if you choose this other agency, I know you want to point it to these guys and that, that you've basically told them that they've won. But if you give it to my other agency, I'll knock off 10%. <laughs> and it's better for them and you'll get better work um and that's what happened so i'd invested six months alive yeah we did this great work we'd won the pitch and then it was awarded to another agency within the group because two ceos have basically struck a deal and like, this is nothing to do with creativity you've not thought about what you know the, the, the work was or the value of this creativity and it, the, the creativity being stripped of any value and it become a commodity and yeah you begin to feel just like a cog in the machine there. Yeah. 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 And, and that and the, was your final straw. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that put them out. I need to get out of this. I need, I need to figure out a way. Yeah. And, and even looking back, it was the strategy was very simple. It was let your worry take care of your money problems. Mm. And it was this notion of human worry and anxiety solving your money problems, which it's the worst thing a bank could ever say because it's... Yes. it's Direct on was it what a bank does? It, it wants to keep you anxious, it wants to keep you tense, it oh wants to keep goodness. you on the hook. Um, but you could see the purpose thing kind of coming through there. So, on the back of that, um, we started courting small businesses that were making change, and one of those was Streetcar. I was fascinated by this idea of a car club, which I'd been involved in car clubs since the Netherlands, which is, I guess, my background in the Netherlands. I was always in car clubs, renting cars, picking up vehicles. It seemed like an actual thing. Then it came to the UK, streetcar, and the agency, again, kind of went in with, for want of better words, kind of big boy, you know, with the big agent. <laughs> yeah. We will give you X amounts of hours per month for that retainer. And the, the client kept saying, what am I going to get from it? What's the value in this exchange? Well, you get four hours this person, ten hours that person, or four hours that, and it doesn't really make sense. It's like from a client's perspective, like, well, I just want to get more people to join this club, to get more people to get involved yeah. in this process. Well, we can give you four hours here and eight hours. <laughs> and it just didn't make sense. So, lucky, luckily, the 
connection was there between I and the um, CEOs. And, and they simply said, look, we can't afford the agency. We're just about to sign a deal with Zipcar. Would you jump ship, sack all that to, to come and lead um, the business? And yes. from a brand perspective, so basically coming as a brand director of Streetcar, transitioning through to Zipcar, and then taking Zipcar to IPO float, um, which was, was like a monumental sort of task. But I, I needed a way out, and I needed a step that wasn't back and I didn't want to go back into uh, Adland because I could see not only was it kind of not the environment that I wanted to be in, but it would pretty much sell everything, including creativity to, to satisfy a commercial need. And it, it yeah. kind of lost itself for want of yeah. a better word. Yeah. I didn't want to go down the plug hole with the industry that had lost itself. So I went to streetcar, and what was amazing about this piece of training, um, certainly for leading on to champions, I was responsible for 23 under 25-year-olds. Wow. Again, the old that, must, that must have been <laughs> nuts. You go, you go from the jumpy upstart, right. I guess, in an old-school environment to having yeah. many, many jumpy upstarts. <laughs> and I'm suddenly the old guy. Now I, I'm having to cut my age down again. Instead yeah. of going up, I'm, I'm kind nice. of Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm kind of pretending I'm you know, kind of young and cool and everything. Um, what was really interesting about that was when you've got a team that, that essentially they've got lots of energy and they're very bright and very sharp, but they just needed clear leadership and clear uh, path that, that they could execute and work to. And that, that was kind of, in many ways, it was a simple task because the energy was there, the motivation was there. Everyone was there because they wanted to make the world a better place and get more people to drive cars. What we could do and what we did in that 18 months of that, that transition phase was kind of phenomenal from a creative perspective. And it was everything I dreamed of whilst working the bigger agencies. And it kind of it unleashed, I guess, a, a level of creativity that I'd not seen before, primarily because you're working with people that were just not trained as creatives. They were untrained. <laughs> and they were young and energetic. And they, the great thing about young and energetic is you fail, you, you kind of mess up, but you'll come back you'll come back, you'll come back. And this resilience is there. Failure and resilience are so key and so integral to, to, to being a successful creative. You've got to keep pushing what is sometimes wrong in order to find what is right. And you've yeah. got to keep moving in that direction. Yeah. So we were allowed, and we were given sort of carte blanche opportunity from the management to take this brand to the next level. Nice. So I, I, we were doing things that were kind of, in, in, in its time, it sounds a bit silly, but it, it was, I guess, pioneering new routes. So I do remember, I remember, for example, we, um, in, in order to demonstrate where the cars could go, we literally got in cars with a group of, um, they were models or upstarting models. Uh, and we'd say, right, where do you want to drive today? What would be your dream trip? And they'd say Brighton. So we just drive to Brighton and we'd film them in Brighton in a car and just say, blah, blah, drive to Brighton in a zip car. You should drive to wherever you want to go. It's over to you. But then what we also realized was the commercial value of this. So when we came to um, reaching out to Big Yellow Storage, I remember they were one of, they were a big client because lots of people said we use our zip cars yeah. or street cars to go to pick stuff up and then yeah. take it. Yeah. So we said, look, if you want to be in an ad, we'll, 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 we, you can feature in one of the ads that's going to feature on all the tubes, um, but we'll charge you five grand. So they were like, five grand, that's a bargain. So we basically got the client as in the client or the customer of, of Streetcar at this time point, 
to feature in the ads and pay to feature in the ads. So they paid for all the production. They paid for the shoot. Amazing. Well, yeah, product placement in a movie. Yeah, product placement in the ad. Yeah. And that was paying for the creativity. So that means we could take punts on photographers so we could get young upstart photographers in because we could afford to basically make mistakes. And it opened up this creative narrative that just kind of, everyone's like, well, so why can't we do it like this? Well, we should charge more. If you want to be in our ads, you pay. Now, the concept of making ads and charging people to be in your ads is kind of a bit wild from, from an advertising perspective, but it yeah. seems like a sharp thing to do. And we did also, I'm looking at, I'll just pull this one out here. We did this one as, so we actually used, um, I hope you can see it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, oh, for anyone listening, Catalan street van driving from eight ninety five per yeah. hour. Nice. Or you just give them out to people, did you? Kind of hand them out yeah, for people merchants. on the tube. Builders merchants. No, we, we gave these out to builders merchants and, and there's tea bags inside it. So you can give a builder a cup of tea and they could, whilst doing that, think, what street van? What's that? What, eight ninety five an hour? I'll just book it for an hour. Great. I need it for two hours to shift some gear from X to X. Yeah. So suddenly you're using tea bags as a medium, and then you're also charging people to be in your ads. And this is like, wow, this is this is how advertising should be. <laughs> should, yeah, like a win-win-win. Right. <laughs> a scenario which yeah. everyone benefits from. I guess on the back of that, the the purpose thing became quite quite <laughs> evident that you can do it, you can commercialize this, and it, and it can work. So <coughs> I quit. Uh, we then took Zitco up to IPO Flow. That went very well, and then on the back of that, I got involved in Google, setting up the Google Digital Experts program. Um, and what was kind of wonderful about the Google Digital Experts program was that they were taking people from disadvantaged and underrepresented backgrounds and training them in the art of digital marketing. Yeah. And what was so fascinating about that was I, I knew going into this classroom environment, there were 12 kids in the classroom, and I agreed to mentor the first um, series or the first sort of, yeah, series of the program. Um, two had, had actually done time uh, in uh, a Majesty's Pleasure. So I'm walking into this room and I'm thinking, right, who's who's done time? Who's done time? I'm looking around the room, trying to work out who, who, who'd who been the, the naughty one in, in, or naughty <laughs> two in the group. And after five minutes, I didn't want to know. And, and after 10 minutes, I really didn't want to know. And to this day, I still don't know. And I think it, that was what was so magical about that learning experience for me was I'd, I'd stopped any sort of preconception or judging on face value. And I just accepted that these are just really bright, sparky creatives. I just want to yeah. help these bright, sparky creatives be more creative, be better and, and to grow in new ways. And so what was really refreshing about that was all preconceptions had kind of fallen away. I'd managed to mobilize 23 under 25 year olds. And now I was looking at even younger. These were like 17, 18, 19 year olds. Uh, and, and some had come from really tough backgrounds. I mean, they'd done a little bit of um, time at Her Majesty's Pleasure. And they were still pushing, they were still resilient, and they could see the value in all of this. And each, each session, I remember putting up 10 heroes that got out of bed and made a difference. And there were all these wonderful heroes. And every time you put one up, I remember Richard Branson specifically, somebody said, yeah, well, he came from money. He was minted. Okay, yeah, okay. And then there was Marie Claire. Yeah, but yeah, but she came from, okay. So we couldn't kind of argue with those. The one that always got everybody was this chap called Philippe Crozier. And it was a, a French guy who, he was limbless and he just swam the channel. Oh, wow. wow. Fashioned arms and legs, creatively fashioned arms and legs, um, like flippers, almost like yeah. 
like little flippers. Um, and he swam the channel and he started swimming. It's supposed to be 21 miles, but the currents got him. And given his stature is quite small, it dragged him around. So he ended up doing 38 miles. Wow. With, and no kid in the room could argue with Philip Crozier. So Philip Crozier, this little character with, with these amazing creatively designed arms and legs, became the hero of the class. And, and that set everybody's thinking off and it was wonderful to see that program it was a six-week program and the outcome was these really bright sparky young folk that could think about things in different ways mm. they, were, they were inspiring me and then I thought right so we can take an agency of young people how can we turn that into something that's got commercial value and then how can we take that forward as, as a possible idea and it was quite obvious that we were never going to be just a commercial agency we had to have a an accreditation of some ethical degree or some sort of social context. So we became a registered social enterprise from day one. And nice. what that meant is that we would specifically give away and reinvest 50% of all our profits back in the business. We've done that throughout. And the way that's manifested itself for the last couple of years is an annual scholarship program. So one kid, we pay for the entire scholarship and living bursary and equipment bursary for them to go through college. Wow. And Very to cool. study graphic design. Yeah, yeah, design and communication, but they come out industry ready. So that they're, they're nice. fully trained. So yeah, it's kind of like a, a full circle. That's a full circle. That must be so nice. I guess there's, yeah. a, there's quite a few now because you've been going for nine years. So that must be really nice to see yeah. them out in the wild because of the hard work you're doing and yeah. support you've given. On each episode, we want to shout about a charity or social enterprise we are passionate about. Today, we'd like to mention Young Minds, who are fighting for a future where all young minds are supported through life, whatever the challenges. Children and young people with mental health problems are at the heart of everything they do, and we believe it's a very worthy cause doing amazing things. Find out more at youngminds.org.uk. Now back to the podcast. I mean, it's been fascinating just hearing this mad journey you've been on and all the different companies you've worked with and approached. I have two questions on branding um, before I move on. Why is, I mean, I, I'm asking this already half knowing the answer, but what, why is a brand so powerful and what's the power behind storytelling, A, and then B, with that, what are some of your favourite brands that you just think, God, they're creative, they are absolutely mind-blowing? Really good question. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time um, running workshops around branding and we always start the branding workshop by asking the same question and usually it, it kind of falls. So the, the question goes, what's the most successful brand in the world ever? I ask you the same question. What's the most successful brand in the world ever? I'd say Google. I was going to say and McDonald's. Apple and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Those are the first three that came to my mind. If I told you the answer was God. Yes. If I told you we're not here to discuss the, the ins and outs of God or which one is right. There's about five players in the market. They've been fighting for market leadership for give or take 5,000 years. Yeah. We've got evidence of humans documenting this, this kind of tussle, if you will, or competitiveness that, that's been existing uh, in the marketplace. Uh, the first branded goods were produced around about four and a half thousand years ago. Um, so yeah. the biblical nature 
of organised religion yeah. is basically a framework that humans create to invite and encourage other humans to lead better lives. In really simple terms, it's about yeah. giving you a sense of purpose. Mm. It's about giving you a reason to operate in a certain framework. And that framework affects everything mm-hmm. from law to privacy law to, to VAT. Some religions do not charge interest, for example, on, on lending. Yeah. It affects our holiday system. It affects our entire calendar. It affects when we're allowed to get married or we're not allowed to get married. In certain yeah. What you eat. Yeah. What we eat, how we weigh it, how it works. It, Everything is, is conditioned by this notion of this biblical belief that we've all created and we all reinforce and we all continue to build upon. And whether we call that a brand or not, kind of is up to the individual. And whether you believe or don't believe, that again is up to the individual. What's really interesting, I think, within that kind of conversation is we've got some great logos. Uh, we've, got, we've got some wonderful stories. <laughs> I mean, I mean, good one liners. <laughs> The fashion is incredible. Yeah. The architecture is brilliant. Um, if, you, if you look at this as kind of like a movie, I mean, there's a lot of movies out there too. But if you look at this as like a, a piece of storytelling, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I think for me, that's what a brand is. It's, it's giving someone, it's giving another human being an ideology that they can work with, that they like, and they think has got value. And they think if they ascribe or subscribe to it, it will better their lives. And I think, to me, that's what a brand is. And I think brands help us as humans grow because it gives us an emotional relationship with something that's quite inanimate, i.e. it's it's a piece of metal or it's a piece of wood or it's a piece of plastic or it's something that's got little value, but then we give it greater value through the emotional attachment that we have for that object or thing. Mm -hmm. And it's that emotional attachment that is what I would term the brand. Mm. It's it's this imaginable this sort of Im- imaginable thing that we surround something with, and it's done in an emotive way. So, you know, a pair of wellies are a pair of wellies. But if I said to you, hunt a pair of wellies versus a pair of Dunlop wellies, you're instantly going to think more and higher about those Dunlop wellies. But they're just wellies. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a very basic object. It's just a bit of rubber with a kind of buckle on it but that's not the point it's hunter wellies and i will feel good wearing my hunter wellies and you're not going to take my hunter wellies away from me yeah and that emotional attachment that i think is so relevant and i think unfortunately you know we we see brands or brands i think have been given a many many uh sort of teachings would say that brands have only been around for the last couple of hundred years i don't believe that i think when you look at let's say organized religion that is a piece of conditioning that we've all subscribed to in some way shape or form and it continues to shape our lives the unfortunate events um that have taken place in gaza over the last month Mm. have really kind of brought that to the fore that this way of thinking this model of 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 being is is still something that is very very emotionally charged Mm. and has great potential um and also great potential to do not necessarily good in that process too so it's got to be managed and it's got to be worked and I guess it's got to be used in the right ways. Mm. As with any superhero power, you, you can use it yeah, in a good way or you can use it in a bad way. Bad way. Uh, yeah. Because I guess that's the thing you find with a lot of the clients that you work with now is that they're up against, as like some of the companies we mentioned earlier, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, who just mm-hmm. have loads of money they can chuck their advertising down on everybody whereas there could be a social enterprise or a charity down the road that's helping people locally that just can't be heard because they haven't got the budget to compete but Mm. they have 
the creativity as a me as the medium to kind of mm. communicate with people and relate to people and get people involved in what you're doing mm. has that sorry i was just gonna jump in and i said from what you've just described you know like god as a as a brand or organized religion and you can think of so many things then for you know like the roman empire all these big names that have been actually around for a long time and the way you've described stories and the fashion it's just such an the whole thing the whole sphere around that brand just shows how wide reaching it is. So for something like what you're saying, like this, you know, the, the small social enterprise who maybe can't be, can't compete on budget. Actually, what you've said, I think is empowering because you go, let me think of this brand in a much broader, broader context rather than just what I'm paying for. Um, and then you can start really seeing the power of that brand or image or story that you want to tell and how you can put it in so many different places yeah and i think purpose is at the heart of it i mean our lives our entire lives and it's again and please i'm a devout atheist so i'm not selling any religion at this point yeah (laughs) Um, our entire life is to find purpose it's 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 to give us a reason to get out of bed every day. Mm. It, it's to give us a reason to look forward to ten, twenty years, it, or, or however long we choose. Um, purpose is what we crave as humans, and that's why we created this thing called organized religion to explain what our function is in this world and this stratosphere of life, and to give us meaning. So if we if we take the value of purpose being our ultimate goal within life, mm. then it's it's quite kind of simple that those with more purpose should gain more reward mm. and i think it's making sure within our lives we make the right choices so that we choose more purposeful things to reward than unpurposeful things that are not doing it necessarily for for a greater gain mm. uh, that opens up a much bigger conversation as to what we do with our lives but also what we do with our time our money and those are you know really key things within our lives as the most precious thing we will ever own and the most precious commodity we have in our lives is time you can be the richest person in the world but you will die at one one day you will get something perhaps that's that's a, 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 a threat to your life and unfortunately you will have the same choices and options as someone with no money mm. the money thing's kind of to some degree arbitrary but what's really really important i think is is we choose to do what we can and we choose to add as much purpose as we can within the time frame of our lives mm. to, to make the most impact that we possibly can and i guess that's the responsibility of every creative is is to make sure that we try to bring as much purpose in our lives. And within that, that purpose could be happiness. That purpose could be helping great brands that that are doing purposeful things that sell more. It could be growing that community. It could be helping them reach with that one person that needs that one interaction on that day that could change their life. And and giving them the confidence and the, the, the ability to continue to do that, both from a financial perspective, but also from a motivational perspective, or giving them creative tools to be able to do that, I guess is certainly why I'm still doing what I'm doing and really proud and happy to be doing what we do because yeah. it's sharing those those skills and that kind of belief in purpose and creativity that, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd hope that's what we can do for the rest of our days. 
Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's beautifully yeah, put. really good. Mm. I guess kind of on that, and we've I think there's about two more questions mm. to go through, but like the mm. second last one, I'd love to hear what your general approach to a client is. Mm. As in somebody comes to you, as I mentioned earlier, it could be charity, social enterprise. They're like, look, we're not getting the message out there. We're doing really good stuff. We need to support more people. How do you approach that? As in, what's that? What are the conversations like in managing a project to kind of draw out the purpose and the weight and the benefits of people mm. dealing with the organization and then articulating that, whether in text or illustratively and on their website? How does that generally work? Like, and what's, yeah, how do you do it differently, I guess, compared to other people? Cool. So, so everybody's, first of all, um, Couple of steps back. Um, we, we work with all sorts of clients, both commercial ones um, uh, as well as what we'd term sort of third sector. Um, yeah. All share the same ambition to create change, and hopefully that's positive change in some way, shape, or form. Um, the second part is, is all agencies will claim to do something different, and they'll always say, to, "You know, we've got this unique system. It's amazing. You've got to sign up." For it. Um, we're all roughly doing the same thing. I think the only difference, and this is the only, and it's a key difference, and it's it's one difference that um, we are born with and hopefully we die with, and that's integrity. You're born with integrity, and it's up to you in your lifetime if you lose that or you go to the grave with it. Yeah. And if you can die with integrity, I think that's a wonderful place. So the one thing I, I suppose we do that we've consistently done over nine years is apply integrity to everything that we do. And... The integrity begins with that first interaction with that, that client. So we would always strike an information amnesty as that kickoff meeting. So we all put our, our concerns and worries and challenges on the table. Both parties, all individuals responsible or stakeholders from those parties put their concerns on the table. It could be I'm worried about approval time. It could be I'm worried about you don't have the capacity to do this. It could be I'm worried about the technical considerations required here. By doing that, I know exactly what you're worried about and I know exactly what, what's troubling you so I can start helping you understand that and I can help so you can then start overcoming those kind of problems. I also gauge quite quickly um, how they respond to my challenges and what I worry about in this conversation too. Are you being authentic? Can you validate this? If we really ask you to do this, have you got the numbers to back this up, for example, if we're making this claim? So I know that I'm not um, essentially lying and I have a sense of integrity in that conversation and I hope that gives everybody a sense of integrity what that does is it sets us all in a really even keel we've been honest we've been transparent and we've been upfront that's a great working relationship honest transparent and upfront because yeah. you get to the answer quicker because you're not scared of saying no, I kind of like it I kind of don't no oh, it's not really inspiring me why oh because x x and x great we can solve that Great, and then it will inspire you. Yeah, great, right, great. So then we can move on quickly. And there's nothing worse than trying to second guess or trying to guess what's in someone's brain. Um, that's the worst game in the world, especially from a creative perspective. And I think, <laughs> think of it in the context of, let's say, art. If every artist tried to guess what the gallerist was going to buy and then what the end customer was going then going to buy, they would make stuff. And it would, can you imagine? It would, it would be restricted to the person who's wealthy enough to buy the piece of art from the gallerists creative capacity which i would argue is quite limited and quite small which is why they employ an artist to do that in the process yes. so if this game was guess what's in the client's head it's a silly and waste of time kind of um to, to begin that endeavor so the more you can be up front 
with what's needed and what's expected and what's worrying, what's challenging, the, the, the need of that, that working relationship is going to be. Mm. I cannot create on my own. I think that's one thing that's really important. I can co-create and it's through co-creation that we will get to the smartest answers the quickest because you bring into it your thoughts, experience and, and expertise. We bring in our thoughts, experience and expertise and together in the middle, we've got a neat solution that none of us could have come up with on our own. I don't know your business as well as you know your business. I don't know the challenges in the market as much as you do. That's your market. It's your business. I can help you do that, but together we have to work. And how, just on that point, sorry, how is there like a particular little exercise you do to foster that? Mm. As in, like, I can see how you go in, like, and the people I've met on the team that you work with, they're all lovely, really nice, friendly. So I can see how very, very quickly everyone will be very relaxed and yeah. kind of open. But how yeah. do you foster that idea exchange? Yeah. Um, because, like, Dan and I obviously run MIO together. It's like that's sometimes there can be a conflict. Dan has a totally different opinion to mine, and it doesn't necessarily Progress. get to the best answer. Mm. Do you have little? Do you have a particular technique on that, mm. or is it just time solves that and just constantly asking why and, and following up with people's perspectives? A, a, a mixture of the two. I think you have to give people, and this is the hardest thing. I think with the creativity. Mm. Failure is key to creativity. You have to give people space and time to fail. And and only through failure can you actually close a door or open another door. Mm. And if you don't tackle that door, it be, it's still always a nag- niggling question that sort of mm. sits in your brain as to, is this right or is this wrong? Should we go down this direction or should we go down that direction? So it, it, you have to you have to allow people to fail. That's it's sort of as people have got to try things out. Then we present and then we say, what do you think? And they say, no, 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 no. Brilliant. We've got three no's. So we're one step closer to a yes. Yeah. Great. The resilience thing is, is really important here. But also we know that, excuse me, the reasons for this no and that no and this no lead us to, so the answer is basically not that, not that, not that. So the answer is going to be either that, that or that great, then we can find a solution and we can get to an answer. So I think it's the, the process is, is to some degree a process of elimination, but also a process of failure. Mm. And then within that, I think it's been brave enough. And I think you mentioned that earlier, that the, the, the bravery is what comes um, out of a positive working relationship is that you're all confident enough to say, I actually think this. Mm. And it's okay to think that. And if I sound like a bit of an idiot, or I don't really understand it, or it's the wrong thing, then I'll admit that too. And I think being brave to fail, being brave enough to fail, I think is a key part of a creative process and a creative journey. And if everyone around the table accepts that, then we're not looking at the clock thinking, well, they've failed, they've failed three times, therefore they're out. It's like, three <laughs> yeah. fails, so therefore they're going to be much closer to the, to the solution and to an outcome. Mm-hmm. And also I, it, it invites people in to contribute to that decision-making or the creative process. And then we co-create together. So we get to an outcome that's clearer and more beneficial for everybody because everyone's got an invested stake in it. Mm. So instead of the agency coming and going, ta you know, this is our big idea. Well, we shape this idea together. And that gives you a stake in it, gives me a stake in this. And together we'll move forward. And therefore we've got shared ownership of this. So it's, it's a bit kind of like offering equity within an idea. And that equity is hopefully something that motivates more people to, to take more responsibility for it. So therefore it becomes a bigger idea. It becomes a more 
um, celebrated idea and it's not a them and us scenario. So I think avoiding that them and us scenario is so key yeah. in the session because it's so easy to go, well, the agency don't understand me, the agency don't get me, the agency doesn't get our brand. No, you've either presented your brand wrong or the you're making it awkward or you don't really understand what your brand is and therefore you are never going to be able to define that because I can't play guess what's in your brain. Yeah. And that's, that's the worst game in creativity is guess what's in your brain. <laughs> no. It, yeah, I'm really fascinated by the topic in general because it is, it's one of those things where you don't know what's right until it's done. Like you don't know until you, yeah. like you've had gone through this whole thing you're constantly tweaking it and then it's just a moment where the client's goes nailed it that's it and then but that could that conversation could easily be oh no, that's not that's it all, you need to change yeah. this like it's a it's a it's really cool like yeah. you must you must get such a kick out of that every time that happens when you work with a client and that moment's reached after lots of dialogue and collaborating as you're saying and then mm. it's like poof we've nailed it we've mm. created something that didn't exist a mm. month ago six months ago and it could transform what this organization does like that that must never get old even nine years in does it no, I think, like you said, it, it, the rush. And when you get results and you, someone phones you up or you get an email saying, what you just did here, um, we, we, we smashed our target. We thought we were going to get this and we ended up with that. And it's thanks to that difference that we can now do this and we can mm. now do that. Mm. And it's knowing that your value that you've added in that process has created new things and new possibilities. And, and again, it, it's kind of like an energy flow. You, you give someone creative understanding or a key to unlock some degree of creativity they will unlock something else and that will unlock something else and unlock something else yeah. so you're constantly surrounding by innovation and pioneering people and you're encouraging people to be brave take risks fail move on grow mm. very similar to what you guys do which is all about empowering people to make their own decisions and their own thinking through the process of, of making your own creativity. Mm. But by doing that, they've got ownership and invested interest in this. And they can then take this on in ways which you can never imagine. And yeah. you're happy for that because you want things to happen in ways that you never imagined because that's the process of creativity. Yeah. It's just starting it, un- as you said, unlocking to then unlock the chain of unlocking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the potential. Um, Gosh, this has been... A journey, a journey. I think I'm going to finish with two questions. I'm going to go back to your favorite. I think I really want to know what brands have you just seen and gone, oh, I love what they're doing. And then what books can you recommend on creativity um, for people to read and and just absolutely absorb that you've that have had an impact on you? Cool. Um, Super. First of all, brands. Um, I think any brand that stays true to itself, uh, I, I, I'm always impressed with because mm. it's hard to stay true to yourself. Mm. Um, essentially, we're talking about integrity. Mm. Yeah, the, a brand with purpose that actually says what it sets out and announces to the world what it's going to do and actually delivers on that mm-hmm. consistently, time and time yeah. again, uh, will always um, sit um, well with me. And it's always uh, you have great admiration and, and great um, praise for, for someone who says they will do something, does it, and does it again and again and again. And I think that's human nature, but it's kind of reflected in brands. So yeah. the obvious ones would be, you know, your Patagonia. So I've always had a soft spot for Patagonia. Um, 
I read that. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Let my people go surfing book yeah. is very good. <laughs> say that, that, that's got to be on everybody's top 10 list. Too. It's more about life than it is about um, about building a brand. And, and I think on the back of that, I did I did start fly fishing. So I, 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 I did, which is this wonderful sort of serene sort of um, uh, practice. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I definitely think, yeah, any brand that's kind of doing what they believe, and I, and I think any brand that's prepared to get involved in something and take a risk, and if it doesn't go right, admit that failure and to move on. So yeah. uh, I think probably Patagonia is the, the, the neatest of all the brands, but um, and there, there are many others, sort of Elvis and Krauss. Um, I, I was looking at only yesterday that they would come up in. Um, I watched a little webinar yesterday. The fire hose. Yeah, and the, the, you know, fifty percent of profits go back into. Uh, those that are rescue services or emergency services it's kind of such a circular scenario the beautiful thing and the way they've just kept chipping away at this and uh, it's just great and it's it's really sort of beautiful to see unfold Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think yeah the 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 worst i think it's probably easy to say the brands i dislike are brands that have no purpose that have no integrity that are kind of unscrupulous and and i think yeah we, we we've looked at this i guess in this conversation today through human lens uh, through the lens of, of human eyes mm. it, it, it's just the same as any relationship you have with anybody if they're a bit of a bullshitter or they kind of use you and you don't feel good or you know that relationship is not not positive or it's not one that you feel comfortable in you don't like that individual and I think that goes for the brands as well it's mm. it's kind of it it, it is very much a, a human relationship because it's mm. all about emotions and it's all about an emotive response or relationship you have mm. with this mm. thing that's wood or plastic or metal or mm. it's got keyboards on it or I don't know it's kind of it's, are it's there fun. any that stand out that you can say uh, that you just really dislike yeah or, or even on that quote is there one that was good and then they just really messed up oh, they messed up because I know you mentioned the point about yeah. consistency and that is such an important thing mm. it breeds trust people yeah. Like even, mm. yeah, posting things at certain times, people see it come out at a certain time of the mm. week and it, yeah, mm. it just builds a rapport and a trust and mm. in the consistency. But yeah, is there anyone that's just totally, it's like, what the hell did they do? They're doing great and then they totally flipped. And I, I, I mean, that list is long. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want it to sort of be negative. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. no, that is fair. Mm. I, I, think, I think the one that springs to mind is, is an individual band and that, for me, and this is on a personal level, mm. um, is Lance Armstrong. I, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know how he lives. I don't know what purpose he puts in front of his life to get him out of bed in the morning. Mm. Um, primarily because I, I was duped. I think the whole world was duped. Yeah, and he ruined so many lives in the process. Um, basically, trying to proclaim his innocence at the cost of others' lives. Mm. It's it's an extreme um, sense of. Um, unpurposeful ambition that overtook an individual to a point where they would be prepared to sacrifice other people's well-being, life, careers mm. to gain their own. And I think that's that's probably you know that, that's certainly one that stood out when you when you said that. Mm. And there are so many brands that have, have disappointed over the years, mm. and there are so many brands that just that are just not true to to themselves or, I guess, to their shareholders. But the, the notion of 
I guess a corporation is something that kind of worries me too. Mm. Um, uh, there was a very famous documentary called The Corporation, um, and they compared a corporation to to a shark. One day it'll swim by you, the next day it will eat you. Yeah. And, and it's it's this kind of psychopathic relationship with that kind of corporation that that is quite alarming, um, and it, and it's something that's that is also quite unknown and it depends who the CEO is and it depends what the direction of the business is and mm. there's nothing worse when being in or surrounded or, or experiencing those corporate scenarios um, really simple things like you, this call may be recorded well it is being recorded it's a fact it will be using evidence against you if this if this goes legal don't say <laughs> may be recorded um, <laughs> it, you know I really like you but the business thinks your position's not quite right yeah. Oh, okay, so you're firing me. No, no, no. The, the business wants yeah. direction. So hang on, who's firing me here? The business or the company or the corporation? And and then it gets really wicked. So this whole kind of yeah, it, it it's very easy, I think, within many corporations to kind of get lost and, and the, the yeah. key question is within that. Did that corporation ever have a purpose that was yeah. uh, greater than a, a shareholder sort of profit? scenario I, I don't know and i can't really speak yeah. yeah i guess now it's like you can't you can't get away with that stuff as much anymore like it's you must really appreciate that in the last 10 years particularly it seems that the human element yeah yeah there's information's out there people are mm. you're on a everyone is on a pedestal almost yeah. and kind of if you're doing bad stuff at least it's talked about more not saying that it's making as much change as it could but mm. it's it's getting there, I think. Mm. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily want to challenge it. I, I just say <laughs> I don't want to believe that. I really would. Um, uh, it, and this is a personal kind of scenario. I mean, the, unfortunately, humans are not great. Uh, and I'll, do, I'll just close. And this is not negative dwell. <laughs> and the podcast is over. <laughs> Humans are not great. So, so give or take 5,000 years ago, we set out some really basic rules. You know, we'd be nice to each other. Salvation, hope, uh, we'll open our doors, we welcome people in, we'll open our borders, we would be really nice and inviting to people. Um, we won't do you know, stuff to children, we, we'll be kind, we try not to do stuff to each other's partners, etc. We kind of failed 5,000 years later, we're still doing that, right? So, to think that we as humans have kind of changed and we've kind of, you know, we've gotten good and we don't need those Ten Commandments because we've sold those Ten Commandments ain't true. <laughs> Sorry, okay. So although we might think things have changed and yes, technology and communication have allowed us to understand more of these things. Um, unfortunately, these things still exist. And mm. a, a great one yesterday, I was really surprised yesterday. Um, it was a bad day in business. You have to go pay your corporation tax. And you've got to go log into HMRC's thing. And it says, um, are you a small business owner? Click here to pay. Um, it says, are you a large corporation? Click here to pay. That there is two divisions. Right? So, so clearly, if you go down, obviously, the, the, the small business and you pay your corporation tax, as does everybody else, um, and you're kind of giving away money for making profit and you're kind of being penalized for making profit. But then the other path is you can choose to click on the other button, which I'm guessing goes through to somewhere else, which means yeah. you get maybe an account manager, you can negotiate, you can work out how we're going to pay. So that 20% levy that we are hit with is not something that they necessarily are hit with. So I'd be very curious to, to understand how this works. And I still unfortunately think there is a, a tiered system where 
those powerful enough to control the conversation will control the conversation. Mm. And unfortunately, those not powerful enough will be the victims of that conversation in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. That's not to bring it down on this conversation. No, <laughs> gosh. It was so hopeful yeah, for so long. No, yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's, it's true. I, I found it interesting, actually, how you, you just talked about humanity as a brand. You know, we yeah. set up our values 5,000 years ago and we're still trying to live by them. Right. That's very but interesting. The, yeah. yeah. And there's so much now around because part of the podcast is about well being, which mm, we haven't yeah. touched on tons, but is like a lot of the things now talked about to like take care of yourself is going back to things mm. five, 6,000 years ago. Mm. It's like put your phone away, like going yeah. back to like Roman emperors and things that they did. And mm. it's, it's so interesting that it's like, yeah, okay, we need to just reset again. Let's go back yeah, 5,000 years yeah. and give it another shot. Yeah. Forget about all the progress. And on, on the book <laughs> and podcast recommendations, which ones would you recommend? Cool. Well, two. You've got two, two shots here. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 so the books I, I, I've got some that I've just read recently, and and they don't necessarily rank as the best ever. But this this one's a great one. It's called the um, the Point of Purpose. Oh, nice. Um, and what what's really good about the Point of Purpose is it talks about purpose as a human need, mm. and it talks about it, it. It's written in a way which is trying to talk about it. The actual subtitle is how purposeful brands attract top employees, seduce customers, and fuel profit. But what it, the underlying conversation is around the need for purpose in human life. And I think that's mm. what I took from that book. Mm. Um, another book, um, this is Murky Books. So this is this is a great, this is how to build yeah. a... Yeah. Nice. What, what's great about Murky Books, I think it's it's obviously Storms' um, label. And I think it's nice. coming at it from a completely new perspective. And I think it's it's rewriting the rules. And I think the, the two authors of this book um, have kind of got, a way of talking about brands which feels really relevant and really fresh but underpinning everything they do is is purpose so i think something silly like 83 percent of millennials want purpose in those they choose to spend their money with and i think that's now becoming more relevant so i think that's really important another book um is the notion of being assertive and i think it's not been uh dominant or aggressive yeah. and it's not been passive but it's been it's operating in a way that feels right for you. And I think this notion of feeling is so important to creativity, but it's also so important to business. If it mm. doesn't feel right and you you don't feel comfortable, you have to change that. You have to do something that gets you to a different place that makes you feel better. And, and I think it's so obvious, uh, but, but yet so unpracticed that if we don't feel good, we are not good. It has a direct mm. impact on those around us. It impacts yeah. us. And, and, it, and it impacts everything that we do. And if you do feel good, it has a really positive effect on everybody around you and it, and it kind of opens up so many different things. So yeah. if it's not working, if it's not good, change it. Yeah. And it, you know, you, you move on. Do something that makes you feel good. And it, and it might be that you just walk away from it all. Mm. It might be that you need three weeks off. It might be you need three months or three years off. But mm. it, it, that's up to you as the individual. Mm. Do what's right for you is something I'm still learning to do. Mm. Yeah. And that you have a choice. Yeah. yeah. I think a yeah. lot of people don't realize that. Like even on the holidays thing you mentioned, like I'm a, there's so many people I know that haven't taken more than two weeks holidays in 10 years. It's like, why, why? There's no, like, 
because mm-hmm. of, oh, I can't take more. Yeah, you can. Or like you leave a job and go into a new one and you like start the next day, like the next Monday after leaving on a Friday. It's like you could take a two months off if you yeah. wanted to. Like, especially when you're, if, if you're lucky enough to be in a nicely paid job and you have savings, obviously that helps. But lots of people do. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have one life. We have one yeah. life. Um, oh. Right, no, no, they're really good recommendations. Those are great recommendations. We'll be sure to, yeah, yeah, and we'll put them in the podcast description so people can check them out as well. Yeah. The, the other um, book that would, any book that inspires you, and it's told by the, hopefully by the author itself, I think is also a great reference point uh, uh, for me. And it, this is kind of cheesy to say this, but Chuck D. Um, okay, biography is, is about his life and about what he achieved and how he took the public enemy brand to America. Now, that's nothing to do with branding. That's really a, a story uh, 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 about one individual's journey, but it, it's, a much, it's as much about the brand of, uh, as it is about him. And I think it, it's looking for those books that give you inspiration that you can learn from to think, well, they overcame this huge problem here. How did they do that? How did they overcome this? How did they choose not to be aggressive at this point? How did they choose to apply integrity? How did they kind of work and navigate their way through this in ways that I can't imagine. They must have taken themselves to a new level. So I think it's it's, it's, it's absorbing anything that you think will give you more understanding as to how humans think and how you yeah. behave. And that's the key to it all, I think. Mm. Love that, love mm. that. Mm. Okay, so yeah, so that's a nice, really nice spot to wrap and, up on. Yeah. We're so grateful you've been on. <laughs> I've There's about a hundred more questions that popped into yeah. my head. <laughs> I think this could be a two, three, four part Oh my God, podcast. this definitely could, yeah. Um, but thank you. And for everybody listening, be sure to check out thechampionagency.com um, for all your branding, storytelling, creative needs, whether you're not for profit or for profit, um, but fundamentally you need to have a p- positive purpose. Yeah. Um, on the world yeah. Um, yeah get in touch with Scott and yeah thank, thank you thank you so much uh, my, my my brain is just gonna mull in, in some of the wisdom you've just given us thank, thank you. you really sorry <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for your inspiration too oh Take it's care. a pleasure thank you so that's the end of that episode we hope you enjoyed what did you learn If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure you do, so you get first dibs on all future episodes. Be sure to check out the previous ones too. There's tons of useful nuggets in them. We do the podcast for free in the hope that it is helpful to you. So any support is much appreciated to help us grow it. Tell a friend, your dog, your cat about the podcast. If you enjoyed it or even better, leave us a review. We absolutely love reading them. If you fancy getting a little creative, be sure to check out at MYO London or at Creative Jungle Co on Instagram or just get in touch. Here's to a more colourful, creative and happier rest of your week. You You got got this, you creative creative legends. legends.